to be able to come to you and worship in your house, Lord. Lord, we thank you for um, the traveling mercies you've shown us this week for so many different things, for, for my family traveling around, Lord, for, for people traveling to and from work, Lord, for um, people traveling to and from this church. Lord, we thank you for watching over each and every one of us. And Lord, I ask that this morning we would be focused on you as we seem to be missing so many different things, whether it be a pastor, a bulletin, words for songs. Lord, we, we thank you for your faithfulness to us and, and that you can still work in our hearts even through all this. Lord, that we would remember the words of the songs that we've sung and that they would embolden us and encourage us this morning. Lord, I pray for the rest of this service. I ask that our hearts would be ready to hear your truth. And Lord, that uh, we would be able to take these words and apply them to our lives and apply them uh, to the lives of those around us as well, Lord, as we speak gospel into the lives of others. Lord, we ask and pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this morning, well, I should really say, for the past few weeks, I've been working on, well, what, what am I going to preach about when Pastor Doug is gone. And I, I honestly considered like finishing Romans 1 for him because it seems like he never will. But <laughs> no. no, of course not. But instead, I think I got to thinking, well, what is it that touches my heart? What are the stories that mean something to me? And those are the things that I like to be able to share. And those are some of also the traps that I like to share as well, because I read through stories in the Bible, and I, and I read of amazing things that happen, and I read of amazing miracles that happen, even all through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, and I let, get into looking at my life, and I think to myself, how come that doesn't happen to me? You know, we get to thinking, you know, the Bible tells us over and over and over that God loves us and God wants good things for us. And if we ask from God, then God will be faithful to give. And oftentimes it feels like, well, I've been asking and I just don't feel like I've been getting. And that's a trap. You see, it is a trap that the evil one likes to place in our lives. It is a trap to say, well, if I don't receive then obviously something's wrong. If I don't receive, maybe I'm wrong about who God is. And this is something that Jesus was even dealing with during his time. I want to give you a little bit of context. As Jesus was working and ministering in the society that he was a part of, everybody knew about the coming Messiah. All the Jews knew that there's a prophecy, there's supposed to be a Messiah showing up here. But they had the idea that this Messiah was going to be kind of like a Moses-Joshua type. Think of Moses from the Old Testament, let my people go, we're getting ourselves out of Egypt, and we're, we're doing some crazy, miraculous things to be able to do that. The Jews living under the rule of the Romans kind of thought the same way. Said, well, Messiah's going to come along and we're going to get out of the, under the thumb of the Romans. It'll be fantastic. Or maybe they even thought he was going to be a little bit like Joshua. Think of Joshua through the book of Exodus and into the book of Joshua. Sweeping all the way through into the promised land, fighting battles, never losing one, doing complete conquering work. And we look at that and we say, wow, the might of God, that's amazing. And so these people are thinking, well, 
we're setting up a new kingdom. That's what's going to happen when this Messiah shows up. We're setting up the kingdom of God, and it's going to be here, and we get to rule it. So that's what Jesus is stepping into. So when this carpenter shows up, and all he's talking about is this kingdom of God that isn't actually here yet, and this kingdom of God who everyone thinks, well, obviously the Pharisees are going to be part of it. Obviously the priests are going to be a part of it. And Jesus starts telling them, not so much, not so much, but all those sinners, they're definitely going to be a part of it. You can kind of understand how these people suddenly are going, now wait a second, wait a second, what? You're going to need to show me a sign on this, Jesus. You're going to need to prove that you're for real here. And so think of this. What kind of sign are they actually hoping for? Because Jesus went through... We can read it all through the Gospels. He healed so many different people over and over. He did all of these miraculous things, turned water into wine to keep the party going at the wedding, right? So what exactly kind of sign are they hoping to look for? Possibly, maybe he'll raise an army out of nowhere. Suddenly angels will come to his beck and call and we will have an entire army of angels to fight our battles for us. But what does Jesus tell them in the scripture we read this morning? This evil generation, he calls them. They keep asking me to show them a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. And he goes on to say that the sign of Jonah was to show Nineveh that he was from God. And we know the story of Jonah, right? The Jonah and the whale. In the belly of the whale for three days, shows up at Nineveh, preaches to them. As we look at that, we don't necessarily think, well, that's not like the best sign, I guess. So think of, think of the disciples at this point. You're, you've got these 12 men who all throughout scriptures are forever being rebuked for their inability to understand what Jesus is talking about. And it doesn't tell us what the actual response is from the disciples, but you can probably guess they went, oh, okay, sure, sign of Jonah, got it. Like, don't tell him we don't understand because he's just going to yell at us again. Like, right? You ever been through a class like that? In high school or college? Like, just pretend like we understand so we can move on. Because like, that doesn't make any sense. The sign of Jonah. What does that even mean? But we fall into this same trap. It's the trap I was just talking about. Not the trap of the disciples, but the trap of the evil generation. God, you're going to need to show me a big sign here. I'm going to need something real big. God, I'm dealing with this financial situation. I'm dealing with this health situation. I'm dealing with this big problem. I'm dealing with this relationship problem. I'm dealing with, the list goes on and on and on. And we cut it off at saying, God, you're going to need to do this. I'm going to need something real big from you here. And we are actually called to do that so many times in Scripture. God says, no, I want you to ask. But oftentimes, we have the idea of what it looks like when God responds. That's the trap. It's not the asking. It's the thinking that we know what God's going to do. So that being said, uh, you don't need to turn here because we're not going to do too much reading. But if you want to follow along, I'll be in 1 Kings 19. This is one of my absolute favorite stories in the entire Bible. And it comes right after a story that Pastor Doug talked about a little bit last week. This is the story of Elijah. And most of us know the story of Elijah. The one we like to tell in Sunday school is all about, uh, I call it the barbecue competition. It wasn't actually a barbecue, it was sacrifices. 
right? So during this time, we have King Ahab and we have Queen Jezebel, and they are worshipers of Baal. King Ahab not supposed to be a worshiper of Baal, but his queen is. And so whatever she wants, she gets. And during this time, they have been killing off all of God's priests. So much so that the prophet Obadiah has been hiding them. We actually meet Obadiah at one point in that story. You can, we're not going to touch on it much, but it is, I, I think it's pretty funny. Um, so go read what Obadiah tells uh, Elijah. It's fantastic. Um, but, but we have the whole thing of, look, fine, we'll have a competition. Whoever's God comes down and actually lights this altar is the true God. And so you've got 50 priests of Baal who are setting up an altar and they're doing all kinds of stuff to try and get Baal to wake up. They're cutting themselves. They're doing all kinds of things to say, come on, Baal, come on out here. Light this fire so we can show them who's the real God. And as we know, nothing happens. And then Elijah raises the stakes. He says, you know what? I'll build my altar. Next thing we're going to do, douse it with water. All you guys who go camping, how good does wet wood light? That's, that's the idea. And he says, you know what? Let's, let's do it again. Douse it again. You know what? Dig a moat, and we're going to fill the moat with water, too. We're just going to keep dousing it until the whole thing is just water. So you've got to be thinking, Elijah either knows what he's talking about, or he's going to look like a fool. But here's the sign God gives him. Lights it up. That's the story that Pastor Doug talked about last week. Here's the story I'm talking about. How do you think it went after that? Oh, fantastic. The, all of Israel comes back to God. And man, they're doing great things. And they don't even have to worry about anything else because they're following God again. No, not the case. In fact, not the case at all. What ends up happening is Jezebel finds out and says, I want that guy's head. And as the king says... Queen gets what she wants. So now Elijah's on the lamb. He's running. He's afraid for his life. And now he's out in the wilderness. And he gives up. Think of this. One of the great heroes of faith gives up. He says in verse 10, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. That's Elijah's response to God after God says, Elijah, what are you doing out here? He says, God, I've done everything right. I've done everything right, and it's only gotten worse. In fact, now I'm in trouble. I'm in deep trouble now. So God, being who God is, Showed him a sign. In this moment, you've got to be thinking, well, man, maybe Elijah's lost his faith. Maybe Elijah's forgotten who God is. Even after the whole competition that he was just a part of, seeing the amazing signs that God showed. So God, it says, passes by him, and he sees this huge windstorm. He sees uh, or experiences a huge earthquake, and he sees a huge fire. All three things we would say, well, those are definitely acts of God. All three things that we might look at and we might be a little bit humbled to remember the power of God. 
and who God is. But Elijah's not stirred. Elijah looks at all those things and says, no, that's, God's not there. Because really what's happening in Elijah is not a question of faith. It is that he has a broken heart. And it's not because God isn't doing amazing things. It's because that even through those amazing things, nobody's coming back. So listen to what he says again, but think instead of, God, where are you? It's more of, my heart is broken. In fact, Scripture even says it twice. In verse 14, he says again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. So the first time you hear it, you might think, oh, he's probably whining. I mean, we have just referenced Jonah. Remember what Jonah did after he preached at Nineveh is he went and sulked. He went and sat under a tree and was upset that God didn't destroy Nineveh. And so maybe we think this, that Elijah's now, he's out in the wilderness, he's hiding, he's sown, and he sat under a tree, and now he's upset that things didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. But it's not the case. Hear what he's saying. He has a broken heart. And it's not because he didn't get what he wanted. It's because God didn't get what God wanted. So the, the windstorm, the earthquake, and the fire, that's really a test of, of Elijah's heart. He said, Elijah, really, why, why are you in this? If you're truly afraid of what's going to happen to you, these things will only make you more afraid, and you'll run even further. This is a test of Elijah's heart. So instead, what actually reaches Elijah? It's not any one of these grand, destructive phenomenons of nature. It's a whisper. It says there's a whisper, and Elijah gets up and goes out and says, there you are. It's because when someone has a broken heart, it's not the grand banging of a drum that gets them out. It's the kindness of a whisper. Think of this, parents, friends, if you've ever dealt with anybody who has a broken heart. Oftentimes they might do something that is kind of out of character. Oftentimes they might do something that actually hurts somebody they love. And it's not because they want to hurt that person, it's because their heart is broken and they don't know what to do with that emotion. But in this moment, as God has tested the heart, of Elijah and has found it not to be in defiance of God, but broken for God. So God responds with a whisper. See, it's, it's not necessarily the, the sign that we would expect. We would expect it maybe one of those first three to be the one that snap you out of it, Elijah. Come on, look at, look at what God can do. He's breaking these mountains down with wind. Look what God can do. He's consumed that entire forest with a fire. That's, that's not the sign 
Elijah needed. Really, and sometimes that's what we're asking for, right? When we say, God, I need you to do something real big here. I need you to bust that mountain down with your wind. God, I need you to get rid of that forest that stands in front of me. And sometimes God doesn't respond with the earthquakes and the windstorms. He responds with a whisper. And if we're quiet enough, we can actually hear those whispers. So keep all of that in mind. I want, I want you to turn to the book of John. So if you followed me to 1 Kings, I'll give you a minute. And normally, this story we don't necessarily read until about April, and that's usually the last time we read it. But this is my favorite part of the entire Bible. John chapter 20 tells us about the resurrection of Christ. And oftentimes we only talk about this during Easter. Rightly so, we don't really necessarily read the Christmas story every other week either. You know, we save that one for December. It's all well and good, but as a popular apologist says nowadays, as long as the resurrection is true, I'm a Christian. Guys, because we, we know when we go back to the first passage that Jesus is talking about the sign of Jonah, it immediately comes to mind what he's talking about for us. Because we know the end of this story. We know Jesus dies on the cross and three days later he rises again. So the second we think of Jonah and we think three days in death, Jesus, three days, got it. Okay, so it makes sense for us. But again, think of where Jesus is coming from. Think of that society. That doesn't make sense. Why would God come to die? God's supposed to come to set up a kingdom. God's supposed to come to free us. But here we are. God's been killed on the cross. And it doesn't make any sense. All of his friends are mourning his, his passing. At this point, everybody's gone to the tomb to see that it is empty. And the story we pick up is with Mary, Mary Magdalene. Verse number 11 says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head of the, uh, and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Guys, I want you to notice one thing. Before I continue, I want you to notice one thing. Every other time an angel talks to somebody in Scripture, that person gets knocked over from being afraid of what they're seeing. Angels are supposed to be these grand, uh, bright beings that don't look anything like we're used to seeing, so they scare people. That's why they always start everything with, don't be afraid. But Mary's response is not that. So we already know that something isn't quite right with Mary. She just lost her Savior. She just lost the person she probably loves more than anything else in her life, somebody who has been leading her to her own salvation. And she responds with, Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, I don't know where they have put him. 
And she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Again, she is distraught. Her heart is broken. And right now, the only sign she wants is to see God. The only sign she wants, the only one that she thinks is going to heal her heart right now is seeing God. Even to the point when she does see God, she doesn't even recognize him. That is how distraught, how broken her heart is. It says, it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought she was, he was one of the gardeners, and she said, Sir, if you have taken him away, please tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Think of this. She is one person, one woman. Lord, man, I just want to see God. I just, I just need to know that God is here. Everything right now is wrong. Everything we have done. I thought we were doing everything right and everything is wrong. Think of what Elijah was saying. God, everything I did was right. I did everything right and it's only gotten worse. Mary's saying the same thing. God, I've done everything right and it's only gotten worse. They took Jesus from me. Do you notice how God responds in this moment? We might be expecting the grand band to show up. We might be expecting a host of angels to show up to start ministering. We might be expecting something crazy to say, no, Jesus is risen. God is still here. But God responds in the same way he responded to Elijah. With a whisper. Mary. Do you not think that that is the perfect response for the broken heart? That is the perfect response for the broken heart. It is not the sign we were expecting. As you read through the gospel, it is not the sign you were expecting. You didn't expect, you should, well... We've been learning it probably way too long for us to be able to go back and hear it for the first time again. But think about the first time you heard this, God shows up on earth and you go, well, everything's good now. We're doing everything right. God starts doing miracles on earth in human form. This is fantastic. God's getting followers. And then they kill him. That's, that's not how the story is supposed to end. We were doing everything right. It's not how this story is supposed to end. Well, that's the gospel because the story wasn't over. You see, as we continue to go through our lives, when we run into these hardships, when we run into these times where we're looking into the grave and all we see is death and all we see is an absence of God, and we cry out, God, where are you? God, I need something real big from you right now. 
I need you to show up and I don't see you. That's when we hear the whisper. When our hearts are broken, when we are struggling so hard in this earth, when we are struggling to watch family members go through what they're going through, when we struggle to go through the things that we are going through, and our hearts are broken, and we are crying out for the biggest sign we could ever see, that Jesus' name would be plastered in the sky and the rest of our society would have no other excuse to be able to say that there is no God. And we don't get that. We get the whisper. We get the whisper to tell us, I am here. So even when we see an empty tomb, bereft of God, when we see our situations in life and we think, God's not here, it's not the grand sign that's going to help us. It's the whisper to let us know that God is here. You see, the resurrection isn't about God just showing off. It kind of is, but at the same time, it's not. Because think of that, that's a pretty amazing sign in and of itself. But how many people actually witnessed it? We have this story of an amazing, grand sign. Nobody actually saw it happen. Did you ever notice that? Nobody was there to record Jesus' first steps out of the tomb. In fact, the only people who were there were knocked unconscious. Isn't, isn't that something? The most grand sign God could have done had no audience. Just like creation, by the way. The most grand things that God does can have no audience. Because it's not about God showing off. So what is this sign all about? It's not God showing off. It's about what the people need. It's about what God's people need. Because it is with a broken heart that Elijah cried out. It's with a broken heart that Mary cried out. It's with broken hearts that we cry out. And the gospel tells us that even through all this, God is still with us. And again, it's, it's not the sign that we always expect. But it is what a broken heart needs. And it is the same sign that a broken world needs as well. We've talked about it a few times even over this pulpit about the uh, identity issues of our society. We have people who can't understand what it means to be a man or a woman. They have broken hearts. And it is not the grand sign, it is not the, the drum pounding that these people necessarily need. It is addressing a broken heart. When things are broken, the gospel is needed. And that is what Jesus provides for us. So, this week as you 
think about the people you come into contact with, as you think of your own friends and family, as you think through your own lives, as we continue to ask God for amazing things to happen. Listen for the whispers and know that God is there. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for all of the amazing things you've done for us. We thank you for uh, even the great signs that we have seen. Lord, we, we thank you most for the whispers. Lord, we thank you for your ability to heal broken hearts, for your ability to heal broken words, worlds, Lord. We, we thank you for the great hope that we can live into every single day because of your resurrection, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would each and every one of us be encouraged this morning. Lord, to know that you are there. Lord, to know that we can come to you when we are broken, when we are confused. And Lord, that you will respond. Lord, even though it's not the sign we're hoping for, maybe it's not the sign we think we need, but it is the sign that you know we need. Lord, again, I ask you, bless this day we have. Lord, help us to feel your presence so closely this morning. In your amazing and miraculous name, I pray. Amen.